Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, and I have the amazing privilege to be here with Mike Lampolson. Mike was born in Thailand and immigrated to the United States of America at the age of 11. He enlisted in the Marine Corps in 1989. He was assigned to numerous duties to include combat engineer, squad leader, shore party engineer, landing support team leader, recruiter, engineer and logistics plan chief, instructor at Marine Corps Engineer School. His senior enlisted assignments included infantry and logistics unit as company first sergeant, as sergeant major. He was command senior enlisted leader of 3rd Intelligence Battalion Combat Logistics Regiment 3, Inspector General of the Marine Corps and Marine Corps Recruiting Command. His deployments were many and included security operations in the Philippines, Operations Fury Virgil 91, Ocean Venture 93, Puerto Rico, Operation Strong Resolve 95 in Norway, Ulchi Freedom Guardian in Korea, Crocodile 99 in Australia, Cobra Gold 2001 in Thailand, Operation Iraqi Freedom from 2004 to 2006 in Ramadi, Iraq, Combat Operations and Operation Iraqi Freedom 2006 to 2008 in Ramadi, Route Clearing, Foul Eagle 2009 in Korea, and Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan and other combat operations. Mike retired in November of 2019 and joined the Warrior Scholar Project in January of 2020. His awards include the Legion of Merit, the Bronze Star Medal with the Combat V for Valor, Meritorious Service Medal, Navy and Marine Corps Accommodation Medal and Achievements Medal, Military Outstanding Volunteer Service Medal, and two Combat Action Ribbons. He is now the Military and Veterans Organization Outreach Manager at Warrior Scholar Program. They are a 501c3 nonprofit that provides educational resources to veterans, active duty, reserve, and National Guard members seeking higher education. At Warrior Scholar Program, they strive to provide inclusive support and skill bridge programming to ensure the success of veterans in higher education. They host immersive one- and two-week college preparatory academic boot camps at 22 of America's top universities and workshops for veterans enrolled in community college. Their programs introduce participants to analytical reading, writing, and other academic everyday skills crucial to success in higher education and help them become informed consumers of higher education. Warrior Scholar Project programming is free for veterans and enlisted servant members. Well, welcome, Mike. So excited to have you on the podcast today. Hey, Keith, thank you very much. I'm, uh, I'm thrilled to be on with you. Thanks for the opportunity. You had an amazing career in the Marine Corps, and then you decided to continue to give back by joining this phenomenal organization and Warrior Scholar program. What made you want to transition to this organization that gave back to service members in such an exciting and thrilling way? It's all about the connections, right? After being on active duty for quick 30 years, I, I just really wanted to break contact and go hide out in the tree line somewhere and then leave the, the military behind. So that lasted for about a week. You know, I was missing that camaraderie, that brotherhood, that, that lifestyle of service, uh, everything that associated with it. So I had a buddy uh, that I served in Ramadi with uh, named Jesse Tilsetti. He, he, he was with the organization. He, he knew I was retiring. He's like, hey, Mike, you got to apply for this position. Uh, you're going to love this organization. It's all about giving back to the community and you still have access and you still be a part of the military community. 
So, you know, I, I applied and here I am three years later, still with the organization, love the mission, love the passion that everybody has on the team about supporting and giving back to the community, especially with their success of higher education. You know, it's, it's one of those, uh, especially enlisted veterans, because we're kind of like a marginalized uh, group that doesn't uh, sometimes have the opportunity to pursue higher education. So a uh, very rewarding organization. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled and, and blessed, really. And uh, it kind of saved my life as far as being a part and getting back into that camaraderie and that, that military lifestyle. Yeah, that's so amazing. You know, and one of the things I learned traveling the world and and doing training with other foreign militaries, I trained in the Malaysia, the Philippines, Mexico, in Chile, and a few other places. I learned there's a big difference between our enlisted military and other foreign military forces in their military. And our enlisted military is often a lot more educated and a lot more leadership opportunities provided to them. And I, I've learned through my years that the our international counterparts in the foreign military services are often surprised by how much leadership opportunities we give to our enlisted military. And I think in some of the positions you served in as first sergeant and some of these senior enlisted leadership roles, there's a big reason for those roles and what they do. And I think about that in regards to some of our civilian counterpart organizations, and there's really not an equivalency for some of these roles in an organization. And I wonder if you have some thoughts about the role that these senior enlisted advisor positions play and what they mean to an organization, and then how that also factors into needing education to grow in that responsibility. First thing is that... uh... I come from uh, uh, one of those countries, right? I immigrated uh, when I was uh, 11 years old. From a, I grew up in a small town, uh, no running water, no electricity, and just barely made it through fourth grade. And, and everybody in that village really didn't have the opportunity for that higher education. So you know, I, I say that, I share that with you and the audience to say that, you know, growing up in a place like that, running around barefooted, and then of all the places that I could have landed in the United States, I landed in West Virginia. So it was the same, same, but different. You know what I mean? In in the sense that, you know, jokingly, I, I say that, but, but I, I tell you, West Virginia is wild and wonderful, and the people just kind of like embraced uh, my family when we uh, arrived there. And uh, not being able to um, never spoke English before, we learned quickly to adapt and, and picked up the language kind of quickly. Um, so it was very helpful. There's a gap bridge, if you will. When, when you go to a places like that, being a senior enlisted advisor, you know, you kind of like serve as a link for, for the commander, for the officers to the bulk of the force to where you can advise them on the individual Marines or sailors needs, challenges or discipline. So when you serve in that position, having that educational background, a degree and stuff like that, it kind of kind of puts you in the uh, not at the level playing field, but it, it kind of like serve as a, you know, benefit of being educated does help. So uh, growing up, like I said, without that education and then learning the process and and be able to articulate the uh, the mission or share with the commander is valuable. 
So I, I would, you know, the resources that we have in the United States uh, military is certainly a lot more uh, robust than the other, uh, some of those other countries that you and I uh, served at or mentioned uh, in that uh, uh, a senior enlisted or enlisted in general does have the tendency to have more education and background and more, you know, they have more confidence, if you will, than, than other uh, countries. Yeah. Yeah. And that, it's definitely not a knock on those countries. I think there's a lot more opportunity and resources. Like you said, I, I think one of the things I think about is the role of providing an avenue to increase servant leadership, because there's the special relationship that a, a senior enlisted advisor has with the those that are getting the job done on a daily basis, the enlisted workforce, if you will, and in a civilian organization, the the labor or the workforce, and then the upper level management in a senior in a civilian organization, but also in the military, the officer corps or the strategic thinkers, if you will. And that's a gross generalization, but I think you know that senior enlisted advisor is that linchpin. It connects everything. And too often in our civilian organizations, we don't have that linchpin that has the freedom and autonomy that you'll see in the military to navigate freely between those two levels the way they do. Because as a first sergeant, and many people in the civilian world don't understand this the way those in the military do, but as a first sergeant or in the Navy and Coast Guard as the command master chief in those roles, you are considered very almost reverently by the enlisted workforce, but then you sit at the table with all the senior officers as well. And you're given a voice with those senior officers and those junior officers treat you with the same respect. They treat those senior officers because they recognize the experience. They recognize that you came up through the ranks and that you've learned and I don't know that we do that in our civilian workforce the same way we give a voice to someone who's risen through the labor ranks and knows the organization well. And I think that if we did that, we'd have a better connectivity through our organizations. And I, that's what I was kind of thinking about a little bit more, that there's a lot to learn by that role and that position. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised that there isn't an avenue like that in the civilian side. You know, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, just being in the military for that long, you know, I, I haven't really had the opportunity to, to kind of see what the, that workforce is like. But I would say that you go to any orga- organization in the military and that it would probably, the ones that have an enlisted advisor is probably going to function a little lot better and, and it's going to have that capability where you're talking about that connection point from the young or the junior enlisted to the uh, command leadership or the executive folks in the civilian side. So if you have somebody that came through that uh, workforce that worked hard from, you know, from being a laborer and then moved their way up to the manager. And now they're sitting at the table with the executives. And I think uh, that person there with that experience coming up through the ranks will have and speak to the challenges of the workforce of the laborers. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And, you know, sometimes I think all of us that have grown up in an organization, we realize the more senior you get in an organization, you lose connectivity with what's really happening at the ground level because people are less hesitant to give you the the bad news that's going on. They want everything to be 
um, roses and sunshine. And so you have to work a lot harder to get the bad news or the, the problem set that is going on. And so having a way to get someone at that table that can help you understand where things are going to fail or where problems will rise will help you navigate some of these things quicker and also connect you with people in a way that shows them that their opinions matter so that you can help resolve conflict, resolve problems quicker. And I think that goes back to our concept of servant leadership because we want to hear the voices of people in our organizations in a way that matters to them so they're they're more willing to share their voices in a way that empowers them to want to dream bigger and want to see themselves rising to get to that seat at the table, wherever they are at in the organization. You made a great point in as far as empowering those service members or your workforce to uh, just have the autonomy to, to go forth and do, do great things, you know, and, and not have to worry about falling on the sword or anything like that. And that's one of the thing that we, uh, Warrior Scholar Project, does is that you know giving them that confidence and and empowering them to be uh, civic leaders so they can uh, pursue that higher education and and giving them the confidence to uh, just get after it you know because because uh, going back to school uh, after being away from that academic setting for a long time you know uh, a lot of our participants will tell us that hey you know I, I haven't been to school in five years. I wasn't that good of a student back when, before I joined the military. So I don't really feel like I belong on a college campus or I don't think I can succeed in that environment. And so when they come through our program, you know, we just kind of uh, help them remove that imposter syndrome and show them that, hey, you can succeed and you will succeed because, you know, uh, our veterans come from a, a unique, diverse background. They're resilient, they're motivated, and they're very enthusiastic uh, in, in everything they do. So when you show them that, hey, you can succeed in that environment and it's really pretty empowering and, and uh, it's exciting to see them apply at some of these top tier schools when they, you know, prior to they didn't even consider or I didn't even think that they can get into a school like that. And, you know, I, I tell you, Keith, uh, 98% of our participants will go on or have graduate from a four-year institution or achieve their undergrad because of the skill set that they got from us. And that's just amazing. You know, I I relate a lot to this program and I'm so excited to be talking to you because I was one of these individuals who just didn't feel like I was a good student and barely graduated high school. And so I enlisted in the Navy and fumbled through my undergraduate degree in between deployments. And it took me almost 10 years to finish my undergrad because of deployments and how often the Navy deploys and going to Iraq myself. Me and Mike realized that we were both in Iraq in the same time I was in Fallujah, just down the road from Ramadi and went to Ramadi a bunch. And we probably crossed paths one yeah. way or another. And you know, but it, since then, the discipline that the military empowered me with showed me that I just didn't have the right belief in myself, the right skill set when I was going to high school. And I learned that over time. And since then, I've completed two master's degrees and I'm working on a doctorate now. And it wasn't that I wasn't a good student. It was that I just didn't have the right skills and belief in myself and confidence to get there. And so this program I just can't say enough about it. And I'm really excited to hear more. And Mike, talk to us a little bit about how you 
give these skills to these amazing military veterans and active duty folks that are working on their degree and reservists to help them have the confidence and skills that took me so long to get. Yeah, you know, I, I wish I had known about this organization and the program when I was getting after my degree because life would have been a lot easier, right? It's a full immersive college experience, but it's very uh, rigorous and it's intense. So we pack like 75 hours of academic studies and training into this one week of boot camp or two weeks, depending on, you know, what type of uh, field they want to get into. So we're able to give them that confidence. We're able to give them the skill set and, and help them become better consumer of higher education by partnering up with uh, those schools that we talked about, you know, the top 21 schools. So imagine, you know, a, a young Marine stationed in Hawaii thinking about transitioning and want to go pursue higher education. They reach out to us and they, you know, we do an interview and we talk about what their goals are, what their academic, what they want to, uh, what field they want to get into. And we kind of tailor our conversation as to which boot camp would be the right fit for them. So we had a Marine two years ago, infantry guy. You know, he, he was very passionate and, and wanted to learn more. And he, he attended our boot camp in Harvard, at Harvard University. So for any veterans that come through the program, it's an on-site program. They go and live on the campus. They get that immersive experience. They eat in the dining facilities. They get taught by the professors from those institutions. They get one-on-one -on -one time with writing tutors, writing instructors. And throughout that entire week, they are mentored by highly successful students that have already gone through the, our program and that have already navigated that, you know, that shift from being in the military to a college student. So they can kind of talk and they can relate because they've been there, done that. They've been in their shoes, right? So, so through all that, that's where the confidence come in. That's where they, if, if they're living on that campus, they can get an idea as to, you know, no, man, maybe I can achieve or maybe I can go to a, a school like this. Or they can, some of them might say, well, you know, this school here is, is kind of uh, too much. Maybe I want to start off at a uh, private school or a small liberal arts college or something like that. So this Marine that I'm talking about now, you know, he's, he's, he's out there killing. He's on campus. He's already admitted and he's in his second year at that university, which is pretty impressive. And that's just one example, Keith. I mean, we have uh, sailors, uh, we have soldiers that are doing great things at some of these other top universities, studying neuroscience, studying medical. You know, so, uh, some of them are going to law school. And it's pretty eye-watering, like I said, to experience and see the caliber of the student veterans that come through our program. Yeah, it's such amazing things that you're doing there. And talk to me a little bit about these mentors they're past participants of the program. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And they, what do they get by giving back? Oh man, that all of them, like a hundred percent of them that does our survey that completed our program. And we consider them alums now, a hundred percent of them said they will refer the program to their buddies because they see the impact and see, they see the, you know, what it has done for them. Uh, many of them will come back and say, Hey, you know, this is really life changing for me. You know, I, I, I'm back. I'm connected with uh, like minded student veterans. I'm able to relate. They can fit in, uh, in a non as a non traditional student on the campus. So with that feeling of what the program did for them, 
they would 100% of the time come back and want to give back because they saw what, you know, uh, what they, uh, the program did for them. That's just so remarkable. Not only are you giving them this skill set and this opportunity to believe in themselves, but you've geared this program in a way that it invites them to bring others along with them. And I just find that so inspiring. And they then want to participate with the people they bring with them. That is just the foundational principles of servant leadership and so powerful and we need more of that in our world today. We need more things that invite people to believe in themselves, but then invite people to bring others along with them as well and create that domino effect of building confidence and empowerment. And it's just a wonderful thing. And I'm so excited to hear it. And, you know, you're bringing them to top tier institutions with amazing professors and What's their interactions with these professors like? Yeah, Keith, I, I'm just, you know, I'm getting chills and goosebumps just hearing you describe the experience there because uh, it is rewarding, it is exciting, and it is uh, servant leadership. They, it's sacrifice and it's selfless, right? The, the alumni don't have to come back, but they feel like they want to give back to the community and pass along this this we what we call a hidden gem of a program to others. Um, I'll share this that you know 65% of our participants, uh new participants are referrals. You know, the other uh, 35% we through social media and through other advertisement and stuff like that, but most of our participants are word of mouth and referrals uh from alumni. So when you talk about, you know, the relationship with the professors uh, from all these different institutions, that's another goosebump moment in that these professors don't get paid for their time. You know, the, the programs run from June to August when the professors are typically off and they don't have class in session. But year after year, many of them volunteer to come back and support our program because they see the impact that they have. And they and really the uh, the student veterans just inspires them and encourage them to, to come back and give back their time. So, for example, um, you know, we have a, um, a professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Oh, she just she loved the program so much where she's constantly volunteering, uh, always doing lectures and uh, providing extra mentorship time to the uh, student veterans, uh, that participants. And even, you know, financially, she's given back to donate and help out with their causes during the programs and stuff like that. And always fighting for us to have like a better classroom environment and uh, encouraging her peers, her professors, other professors on campus to come back and help out. Again, you know, selfless service, uh, servant leadership, don't have to do that, but out of the, of the goodness of their heart because they see the impact and the caliber of the, uh, the community that comes through that program, they just willing to give back which is pretty cool. Yeah, I just love it. You know, such a powerful thought. You know, one of the characteristics of servant leadership is conceptualization. And that that's one of the, the more difficult to think about. Like, how do we get these servant leaders to nurture their abilities to dream great dreams is the way Larry Spears describes it. And the ability to look at a problem or an organization from a conceptualizing perspective means that one, 
must think beyond day-to-day realities. You know, this is a program that thinks beyond day-to-day realities. We're taking a group of young service members or old and looking at ways that we can help them dream beyond their day-to-day realities and inviting these wonderful partnerships with top-tier institutions to help build confidence and bring people along and then bring others along with them. And, you know, this is one example of ways to build greater capacity in individuals that enables them to build greater capacity in others as well. And I think that this just shows that the status quo doesn't have to be your status quo. And you can think about your organization and the way you educate or build learning environments in new and novel ways. Or you look at those leaving the military and think about, okay, we've got this service member that's got a great set of skill sets and how do I train them or bring them into my organization to empower them because they've got a dedication and a service mindset and you can just move that along. And those are just some things that come to mind for me. And you look at Mike here and Mike's got some, we read his bio, he's got some amazing high level awards that would, as we'd say, fill his chest candy when he was in the service. But I could, I'm going to throw a curveball question at him. When, if you were to look at your awards in the service, would, how would they rank against your fulfilling moments in this program today? Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, that is a curveball. You know, when, when we talk about the awards and the, and the medals that we wear, um, I, I pride, uh, we, we, I think I can speak on behalf of all the, all the other that gets those awards. We, we pride ourselves on that. It's the collective. It's the people that you work with, the people that you serve with. That's the, the reflection of that award. So, you know, it's not because of the, um, the individual performance, but rather being at the right place at the right time. And also, you know, servant leader is just really setting the example, you know, putting yourself in a position where it's not about you, but it's about the team and it's about the, the unit. It's about the command. It's about the mission and just doing the things that you're supposed to do as a leader and inspiring your folks or your team to move them and then encourage them or inspire them to accomplish the mission. So as far, as far as having that award in the military, the award itself with this organization, Keith, I mean, it's, it's very rewarding just to see the impact that the organization have on these individuals when they come through the program many of them like i said you know don't think it's intimidating to get back into school they feel like they you know they don't belong on a campus but they don't have to do it alone because if the program like this is able to show them challenge them push them connect them with individuals that will help them excel and succeed in higher education so um you know I, I'm, I'm all about uh Every unit, every duty station is the, the best duty station that you're currently at now because I'm with the organization right now. I mean, there's, there's no other organization in our space as far as really preparing and giving the uh, veteran the skill set and boosting their confidence and, and connect them so they can succeed. There's no other organization on this platform. So yeah, you know, how does it rank? I'm, I'm proud to be a part of the organization and it's, uh, it's very rewarding and it's fulfilling, if you will. Yeah, that was a fantastic answer. And there'll be no great 
you know, medals for this organization, right? But I think you said some great things about even those medals came because of a team. Even these opportunities for this organization become because of a team. But there's one thing I thought about as you were speaking, it just really connected with me. And I think it was an undertone of what you were saying is that the the amount of courage and and valor, these words that we use a lot in the military speak, that it takes for these service members to enter this academic space is profound. And we don't necessarily categorize it as that way. We categorize a lot of the things they did in the military as being courageous or having valor, but we don't always give them the same form of accolades for entering this academic space and for doing the things they're doing. And even, you know, warrior scholar program, they don't get the same level of accolades that they get if they were doing a lot of the things that the military is doing, but they're doing phenomenal work that in many service servant leader organizations, you don't get these accolades, but that's not why we do it. Just as Mike answered in all of those medals and all of those accolades are, it's not why you do it. It's because you're trying to build, as Larry Spears said, those that nurture their abilities to dream great dreams. And this program is doing that in a profound way. And how do the partnerships you build give you greater ability to help others dream great dreams? Giving them that uh, avenue, giving them that extra push or that extra motivation and that confidence, you know. So the partnership uh, is pretty remarkable, Keith, in that we have a numbers of institutions that reach out to us uh, on a regular basis, wanting to partner with Warrior Scholar Project uh, because they see the success and the value and the impact that we have in the community. So the, the program started back in 2012 with just nine participants at, at Yale University, at, at Yale. So since then, you know, we've grown to 21, uh, 22 respectively um, to different campuses. And we have served over 2,000 service member and veterans through boot camps, academic boot camps, and also through college success workshops. And because we're able to do that and that we're able to get the student veterans enrolled and admitted to some of these top tier schools, you know, it's a success. You look at the numbers, 200,000 folks will leave the military each year. Of that 200,000, 115,000 of them will pursue higher education. Unfortunately, you know, many of them, a lot of them won't make it to that or won't succeed in that endeavor. And uh, to have an organization like the Warrior Scholar Project, a national nonprofit to help out and, and increase that number of successes is really phenomenal. So I think that's why, you know, the relationships and the partnerships are critical, critical, but at the same token, they see the value of our partnership and that's why they want to be a part of it. It was kind of like anything else, right? You see a success of a company. They're like, hey, what are, what are they doing there? What is this hidden gem that makes these student veterans so successful? We want to be a part of that. So, you know, the partnership is crucial and we, we, we value those very much. And we're, we're happy and excited that all most of these institutions come back year after year to want to host us at their, on their campuses. It's pretty yeah. phenomenal. That's amazing. And 
I apologize. I realized I've been saying Warrior Scholar Program and it's the Warrior Scholar Project. So I'll make sure we have good links to the Warrior Scholar Project in the show notes. And I apologize for that uh, misstep on the earlier in the episode. And I clarify that nice and I believe in owning my mistakes. So yeah, uh, no, that's great. Uh, it, so. It's a project, but you know, we host programs. Our programs are academic boot camps and college success workshops. So it's it's all good. Let me ask you, what do you think in your experience sets up these service members to both succeed and fail in an academic setting and what in your vision could help set them up for better success in an academic setting? What I've seen is that the connections that the um, participants come through and they make in the relationship, you know, it, it could be a short week or a short two, but the relationships that they build during those uh, one week or two week program is really uh, lifelong because they are surrounded by like-minded student veterans uh, where they uh, at one point feel that they don't think they belong or can't make it in that environment. When in fact, you know, due to their courage of wanting to try it and pique their curiosity about getting back in the school, they're able to succeed. And what do you think kind of hinders their ability to have success in an academic setting? A, a lot of it, I think, uh, for those that, um, you know, that don't get the training and the experience through an academic boot camp like ours, they don't see that the resources that's available or they don't have the connections with other students that have already gone through the process that can kind of help them navigate that challenge and process. So it's unique in that our alumni do have access to all these resources. So at any time, they can just pop in to uh, our uh, channel, our comm channel there and ask, hey, I'm thinking about going, you know, applying for this uh, medical school. How do I go after this? Or, hey, you know, I'm having an issue with applying for this scholarship or getting this funded. What's the best way to do that? And it's amazing to see like the immediate response that they'll get uh, when they ask those type of questions. So, you know, I think the hindering uh, of the success is one is removing that barrier of that imposter syndrome. A lot of it, I think, is they're trying to go after it alone. You know, they don't have to do it alone. Uh, they, there's people, there's resources, there's connections on the campuses that's available to support them. So I would encourage any student veteran, you know, take advantage of that. Okay. I want to talk about two things uh, before we wrap up today. One is this whole going it alone. I'm glad we got to this. In in my doctorate program, we talk a lot about learning theories, and I'm not going to geek out on everybody and bore you to death on on learning theories. So don't worry. But one of the things I want to talk about is that we focus a lot on learning theories and the social nature of a lot of these learning theories. And there's some power in both what Mike just said on the successes and the hindering. And if you notice the successes he talked about, connection, putting people together, relationships, and in the hindering, going alone, lack of connections, there's really this, the theme was the social nature of learning. And I, as I've talked to Mike about this program and I've read the materials he sent me, I've noticed how wonderfully designed this program is. And I just can't emphasize it enough how great it is. So if you share this podcast for one reason alone, share it to get this resource out to those that you might know, because this program is just wonderfully designed to connect people together, to give them resources, to connect them 
to each other to share these opportunities as service members to further their education. And the, we learn that learners often learn the most by the next nearest novice, not by connecting them to an expert. So it's usually by connecting them to someone at their nearest yeah. learning level. And so that's what this program really does amazingly. And I just love it. The last thing I really wanted to touch on, and Michael, you, you can talk if you have any comments on that, but I also really want to touch on this idea of the imposter syndrome. And I just really want you to delve into what you've noticed about those coming into the program and how they have this imposter syndrome and then how you help them overcome the imposter syndrome. Because I think there's a lot of that out, not just in this program, but in our world today that a lot of people can have value from in your thoughts. Yeah, you know, there was a survey that was conducted by the Institute for Veterans and Military Families that kind of hit on the imposter syndrome. I don't remember the exact percentage of the student veterans that have that. I, you know, it, it, I think it's a pretty common thing. I haven't. Well, every day, like when I'm working with the organization, I'm like, man, you guys are so brilliant. I don't know how I'm able to be a part of this organization because I mentally, I, I don't feel like, you know, uh, I, I can compete or keep up with them. So I think it's a natural thing to have, especially like if you've been away from that setting for a long time. So I can see how it can be intimidating, how it was intimidating for me to transition from, you know, the military into the civilian world, as far as how am I going to fit in there, you know, the, it's a different environment. So we, naturally we have that. So how, how do we transition um, from having that to the participants to getting that full of pride and confidence and courage to, to be able to go out and tackle this thing we call academia. Well, when, when you're surrounded by, you know, successful student veterans that can talk to them about, hey, look, man, I, I know what you, I know what you're feeling. I was there, you know, a couple years ago. I felt that fear and that intimidation about applying or you know, succeeding in this. So the skill set in just the analytical reading, the writing, the study habits, the time management, the transitional tips of how to, you know, um, navigate from being in service to academia. They, we, we talk them through all that during that week or two. So they kind of like removes that a little bit for them. And then going forward, you know, after they complete the program, they can have these resources and connections where they can come back if they ever feel like, hey, man, I'm I'm running into a roadblock here. You know, how, how were you able to navigate through this? And they were able to get help through that from their uh, fellows and fellow students. So it's a pretty cool cycle of a, you know, giving back, being a, a selfless servant leader from being a, a one, a, a student that don't think they, they can do it. They leave our program full of pride, full of confidence. And now because they see the success and the results from that program, they want to come back and give back to the next generation of student veterans, servant leadership. I just love it. Love everything about it. And I think there's power in what Mike just shared. And I appreciate you sharing your vulnerability and admitting that even you have imposter syndrome. And I just want to pause there for a moment and just let all of you marinate on that moment that this amazing retired Marine with a Legion of Merit and a Bronze Star with Valor, even he has imposter syndrome from time to time. He's doing amazing things. Even I have imposter syndrome from time to time. So when you have it, 
it's okay. But connect yourself with other people that will help you power through it. Connect that's yourself. It. Oh yeah, that's it. That gives me goosebumps. You know, we, we're not in it alone. Uh, there's a community of us, and then uh, uh, when when you see your brothers and sisters that have gone through that, you know, the that challenge of military service, and you connect with them, and you you been there, done that with them, and you see them succeed in that higher education realm and academia, we're, we're a team. So I would encourage, you know, everybody to reach out to their peers, their battle buddies. Uh, you're, we're never alone. So you know, this conversation kind of <laughs> went on a different route, uh, Keith, not only in academia, but anything else too, man. Like, you know, if you're, you know, if you're struggling or you're having a challenge somewhere else, hey, don't, don't do it alone. Reach out to your buddy and I guarantee you they'll lift you up and uh, we'll be able to tackle whatever challenges is ahead of us. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I agree. We are never alone and we foster a team mindset. That's what we're about. And as servant leaders, we have to be about fostering a team mindset. And if we learned anything, it's that connecting our organization through reimagining what our team looks like and how we can better connect our teams together. We talked about one example through that, through a senior enlisted advisor, but there's other ways to connect your team together. If your team is lacking connectivity, you need to reimagine the way your team connects. Because if there's outliers, if there's people drifting away from your team, you're losing talent, you're losing creativity. And that's not servant leadership. That's not giving yourself the best organization that you're capable of. That's not putting people to the best of their abilities to dream great dreams. Well, I've loved this conversation. Any final thoughts to wrap us up today, Mike? Yeah, you know, just thank you for this opportunity to share my thoughts. And uh, it's really uh, an honor to, to be on the podcast and sharing our story. Um, you know, I, I think I mentioned it at the beginning in that the Warrior Scholar Project is really considered to be a hidden gem. But we don't want to be that. You know, we want to serve as many enlisted service members and veterans as possible. We want to help them uh, remove that barrier so they can succeed in higher education. Every, every service member deserves success in that pursuit. So we're here to help. And I would encourage your listeners to, you know, share our information and anybody that's listening and, and, uh, you know, check us out, warriorscholar.org. Well, thanks, Mike. And thanks all of you for joining us. And please share this episode so that those of your family and friends that are veterans of the service or still enlisted servant members have the opportunity to finish their education or at least begin to believe that they can. And thanks again for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified discussions on servant leadership and have a wonderful day. 